Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that wears its own merchandise to its work's Christmas due. I am Cami Black and this week, uh, back from celebrating his birthday last week, it's John Anderson. Hi, hi. And back from uh, clearing out his mother's garage, but that, that's what he told us anyway, it's Ian Hay. Bonsoir, mes amis. Did you find anything interesting? Uh, no. No. I no. thought you might have found... No, no, not even any mice this time. There was a couple of... One time I was clearing it out and he opened uh, boxes and mice ran out, which was funny. Are you both well anyway? Yeah, it was definitely a good call not to come on last week. Um, I was, I was, I was quite deep in the deep in the lager beer at the at the point of podcast recording, so I can only imagine what absolute nonsense I would have spouted. It could have been a good one. Differ from any other time. <laughs> yeah, you behave. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get some. I'm going to find some Christmassy music because we're getting to that time of year. Let's find something I can uh, do uh, for the background of how to get in touch with us. It's a lovely bit of uh, Carol here. Um, I might just turn that down a bit so it's not too noisy. Um, you can get in touch with us at the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at scottrugbyblog or at Black. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and you can email us, podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, we're on Instagram. We aren't on Reddit. We aren't on um, GeoCities and we aren't on Alta Vista. Um, I've made that joke before, I think. Um, John and Ian, how, how, John first, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, yep, Twitter. So you can get through to uh, at Scott Rugby Forum or at Skinchenko27 um, on Twitter or you can join the Scottish Rugby Forum on Facebook. And Ian? Um, I'm at Ian Hay 82 or uh, like John, I'm one of his, uh, I think I'm a lieutenant in the ranking system. Uh, <laughs> he is obviously the Lord Commander. Um, I'm on the Scottish Rugby Forum as well. Um, yes. Uh, you want to actually encourage more people on today? Are you just trying to get people on there who aren't going to set it on fire every time there's a game? Yeah, if we, if we could make sure that anybody wanting to join, uh, there is a sort of strict um, test that does involve sort of you know pyromania. So yeah, we we, we could yeah. if anybody really wants to turn up, if anyone's done their fire training, be more than welcome to come along. <laughs> Try and douse some of the fire out after. Uh, oh yeah, even after. Two fairly uh, <laughs> seamless, this isn't it? Even after two fairly decent games in Europe this weekend, absolutely. People still absolutely furious that Scotland get Scotland teams are winning. I, th- I think it's just are we just all so angry and confused that we just don't know what to do with having two teams being successful in Europe at the same time? I think it's the change in Iron Brew, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> It's the only explanation. It seems to be like Pete Horn and Henry Pargos. Uh, they're, they're the two that seem to get it the most. And it's, they, they have the same initials, just reversed. So maybe there's something in that. Possibly. <laughs> so, does, so does Harry Potter. Does he get it? <laughs> Absolutely. All the time. Have you seen the new film? Terrible. Um... <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's terrible. Um... I've only seen the first one. I'm not into the wizards stuff. No. Well, not 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 Harry Potter. Last time, last time I got into Wizards on here, I got trolled by a Welsh man who thought I was seriously into it and thought it was insulting to tell me that I was a child. But um, I know that <laughs> I've got a I've got an incredible Hulk Wallace. I'm comfortable with who I am. Um, anyway, let's we, we'll we'll start with the Glasgow game. Seeing as you're both here, um, apologies to Embra fans. We will get to there uh, eventually in the podcast. Um, John, um, how do Glasgow win? A game in that manner and still give away sixteen penalties. It was quite remarkable. I think it was it was indicative of just how good Glasgow actually were. Um, yeah, the discipline was absolutely horrendous. Not not helped by um, some interesting interpretations of the laws from from our official. But yeah, I mean there was there was plenty there that we get pinged for that you're thinking, God, guys, come on, bit, bit of sense here. But in attack, we were just irresistible. We're so good. Ian, would you agree with that? Is it that that what it was down to just a good attack from Glasgow? Yeah, well, um, Leon seemed to, unlike most of the French teams, they seemed to come and want out to come out and play as well, and it kind of just fed into our hands. Um, 
you know, the game was still on a knife edge until Hastings got that intercept and then did his old snake hips thing and set Hugh Jones off, who'd been on for all of about 15 seconds. Um, but yeah, no, it's just clinical finishing. Um, has has anyone photoshopped Adam Hastings' face onto the Saturday Night uh, Saturday Night Fever poster? <laughs> but they should. Where's G Love? You can you can have that one for free, G Love. <laughs> you don't. I don't think you actually need to do any photoshopping. You could probably just <laughs> stick Travolta on there and just pass it off as uh, pass it off as Adam Hastings. <laughs> Stop that Um. It was interesting. I mean, what I, I mean, one thing sort of, um, we'll get on to comments from the blog and elsewhere in a minute, but the one interesting thing I thought was that the the, very, the last play of the game and just how, com- I mean, the game was won, but how committed Glasgow were to not letting Leon get the bonus point. Yeah, they, they were really, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a sign of a real maturity from the side. They're, they're obviously, there's a, a, a real core of young, young players on that side. But you could tell that they were they were switched on to this is this is tournament rugby, and everything we do here, even down to you know giving away another three points, it, it made a difference to them, and that it was such a good mindset, so refreshing to see. Do you think that's it then? Do you agree with John then that that Glasgow is it that Glasgow finally worked out tournament rugby and how it works? I think it's just more this solidity that we've seen in the in the pack, and now that. Well, for example, um, Adam Ash, who's playing out of his skin at the moment, he's you know keep, keeping uh, co-captain Ryan Wilson at the team. These people are really fighting for their spots now. Um, Rennie said he basically couldn't drop Ash because of the form. So, you know, I just think there's certain players are maybe coming of age, or you know, maybe they're being trusted more often. Guys like Rob Harley, for example, who didn't play much last year, he's been used as a sort of utility lock this season, um, but he's been. You know, he's been sort of back to the the good old Rob Harley we knew of sort of twenty twelve to twenty fifteen. Um, so I just think it's there's been a real increase in doggedness in the pack, and also uh, players just thinking, you know, I have a chance to stake stake my claim in the team here. Even guys like Chris Fizarro coming in, and yeah, uh, against Scarlets, uh, absolutely, yeah, he was you know absolutely phenomenal, and there's no doubt that he is. When everyone's fit, he's probably not even third choice. But he comes in, and the commitment and, and the quality that he brings, he, he does a job. And you know, the squad is is in good shape. It's deep. I mean, that's what we were talking about. Like, I mean, that's. I mean, we'll, again, we'll get on to him. That's what I was talking to Sandy last week, and that's what we were saying. Is that's the difference between Glasgow and Edinburgh at the minute? Is you look at the Glasgow team against the Scarlets, both Glasgow and Edinburgh resting, you know, players against two very big teams in the Pro 14 and you look at the side Glasgow are able to put out compared to the side that Edinburgh are able to put out and you've got guys like Fusaro who've just been around the club for donkey's years who are still there and that's I suppose it gives it some continuity I guess Yeah, they all, they all know how to play they all know the, the what Dave Rennie wants from them and the as you say, that, that sort of core of people that have been there for 10 years there's a real sort of experience and, and belief in the club. And obviously they were all about when, when Glasgow won the title as well. So um, absolutely, it's England. Uh, England boo! Edinburgh. <laughs> edit that out. Um, <laughs> where's my editor when I need him? Um, Edinburgh are still looking to build you know, that core of people that are going to take the club forward for 10 years. So are, it, so are England. <laughs> um, we'll go. I mean, there was the we haven't managed to get a match report up for the Glasgow game. I think just because everyone's um, it's Christmas and we've all got other things that we're uh, doing. But um, John Mack um, on the blog had said he's pleased to see Ash going so well. Made a strong impact at an early age. Then injury and loss of form and possibly confidence <laughs> affected him. Good to see him back in the Glasgow and Scotland mix. I mean, it's he's twenty five. You forget how young because he was so young. I think when he first came through I mean it was South I think he was called back from the McPhail scholarship to play against South Africa. Yep. But he's only twenty five, which is pretty still pretty young for a number eight. Yeah, well he's one of the, the very few. The only other person I can think of in the professional era to have represented his country before his club is Brian O'Driscoll. And he turned out not too bad. Um but yeah, that's it's been the thing we actually he's never he actually listened to the Warriors Weekly podcast on the way home from work and 
Um, he was saying, you know, he's he's never been able to get a good run of games because he always seems to get injured. Uh, last season, I thought he started really well as well, but then, you know, one thing happened after another. It seemed to be, I think it was his shoulder first time, then something else went. Um, but now he's, he's, I think he's played five of the last six games and he's been in belting form. There's a couple of people. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, John. There's a couple of people on the um, forum seem to be sort of touting him as as a as Scotland's eight. I mean, do you think that's? I mean, do you think that's where he, he's suited, or do you think think he's more of a six? I like him at eight, actually. I, I think you look at that second try um, against Leon, and I think there was a stat recently that showed under Townsend uh, Scotland they 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 tries from all positions within 10 games or 12 games or however and they hadn't had one in 20 games John, from number 8 John Beatty was the last yeah. number 8 I think for Scotland to score a yeah, try yeah that's right yeah yeah which it, say, it says a lot about who we've been picking at 8 but Adam Ash scores tries and he gets go forward ball from that position and he has good hands he's confident in the back of the back of the pack if it's going backwards so um, I like him there I think he, he brings a real uh, sort of good combination of maybe your Josh Strauss go forward with a bit of the, the Ryan Wilson niggle. I think it was interesting because again, even his first try, there's, he thought he, he he saw what Horn was doing and he was the only one on Horn's shoulder. He's a smart boy, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got any comments you've picked out then, John? Actually, I I, I was looking at the very same thread as you were. Um, I thought the next one from Stu too was actually, um, you know, again, just really nice to see him back. He, Stu too was commenting on him being the answer at eight. Um, hard as nails, aerobic, great, enormous aerobic engine, great hands, and one of the few Scottish forwards to get over the game line. Although he has said main line, but, you know, that's maybe, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe he's thinking he's Finn and, you know, back to the mainland. Um, no, I think, you know, I think that sums it up. Ash is a very, very talented player. And Glasgow are yet again lucky to have the quality of players. I mean, do you try and pick one between Fagerson and, and Ash at eight just now. There's a reason they're having to use them at six and eight. And the quality that they both have, I mean, Fagerson is unbelievably good. Um, you know, just watch him, watch the quality of what he does on the ball. It is sublime. Um, and the fact that we're still talking about Adam Ash is playing better than him it is indicative of how good Ash is playing. Yeah, I mean, I think yes. um, Ash made 17 metres um, and Ferguson made 23. But I, I mean, Ash is, yeah. 70 metres and 23 metres, so they both make it, like you said, they're making metres, both topping the metres in the forwards. Um, no, they are, I, I really like this blend of Fagerson, Gibbons and uh, Ash, um, you know, I think it's like like we've been saying, it's got the go forward, you've got Gibbons doing the sort of gritty, dirty work, um, and also he's not too bad when he gets a head of steam on him either, um, so I, I really think this is a, a trio which could be, could be a mainstay, um, I was just looking at a couple of these stats before this. Um, obviously, Ryan Wilson is the other sort of main name we'd be talking about going into that back row. And although you know tries isn't the main thing, it doesn't doesn't have to be the sort of main thing for a, a back rower. Um, I'm just looking at the stats here now. Ryan Wilson's played 146 times for Glasgow and scored six tries. Uh, Adam Ash has got 62 games for Glasgow and he's got 13 tries. So you know if we've been you know, we've we've been calling out for this number eight, um, hard carrying number eight who can get himself over the gain line. Maybe Ash isn't. You know, we're expecting a hero for Scotland. We're we're kind of hoping for someone like Thor to come along and just be dropped back into the number eight. And I don't mean David Denton by that. I mean proper Thor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, if he keeps up this kind of level of performance, I think the eighteen seventy two games are going to be massive to see who's. Uh, who's getting in there. Yeah, I felt, I mean, so. you kind of felt for Matt Smith against the Scarlets actually having to go off because you can yeah. sort of see Ryan Wilson, although he's captain, sort of slowly slipping down the pecking order because Matt Smith put in a couple of huge hits. Yeah, that, that one that was on Twitter was unreal. It <laughs> <laughs> was absolutely massive. Um, speaking of tackles, though, we do have to just um, do this. Hang on, I'll see if this works. Oh, my klaxon's not working. Hang on. See if I get my Johnny Gray, Mr. Tackle Claxon working ready. That's not good enough. Hang on. 
Johnny Green missed the tackle. Hang on, I must have a better one than that. Hang on. That'll have to do. Johnny Green missed the tackle, everyone. <laughs> are, are you suggesting from the, the different use of sound there, were you sort of working to what Johnny was in terms of, was he a, an oil tanker? Was he was he a truck? I mean, what, what were you going for there? I don't know what I was going I was just going, I just was looking at different horn sounds. There's a UFO as well. That necessarily adds anything. Um, <laughs> um, I think it was originally down as two, but I think it got um, it got revised down to one. One was rescinded <laughs> after, after a sighting review. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is he still just? What, is he on the ninety-seven percent now? Is I he think it's ninety-seven percent. Yeah. Oh dear, the shame. The shame. I mean, actually, you know, the Glasgow's. Um, you got to guess, either you know what Glasgow's tackle completion rate was at the weekend? It's a good question. I do not. Do you have a guess? 86. What do you think? 86. 76. <laughs> rotten. Yeah. Um, and that still won the game. Comfortably, <laughs> Comfortably won, the game. won the game. Despite missing, uh, only making 76% of their tackles and conceding 16 penalties. Those are not stats that generally win you games, are they? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Good. Um, any other comments, uh, Ian, that you've picked up? Um, no, you've both of you have stolen mine, basically. Um, because, well, because me and John were appearing on this, we thought, do we really need to do a match report? We can get all of our opinions and thoughts out on the podcast. And then people can comment on this. So, you know, we're, we're doing it for you, Cammy. Yeah, but don't, don't post your 15... 15- best Scotland players that like Nando's oh, or something like that. No. Just no. <laughs> Stop. Um, the um, the one one question that was Arthur on the Scottish Rugby Forum came on before um, that it just just before we've come on here and asked um, if there's a lack of leadership in Glasgow and Edinburgh. I was about to comment on that and I refrained and I thought, you know what, I'm going to save myself for the podcast because I want to... Because there's no, I... Is it because there's no right of reply on the podcast? Uh, yes, absolutely, yes. No, I want to call absolute bobbins on that. Um, I think to to suggest there's a lack of leadership at Glasgow is absolutely bonkers. Um, you just have to, again, we've mentioned some of the names already in this podcast, but just look at the number of leaders that are in that side. It is it, oh, it's staggering. I actually thought, Watching Callum Gibbons at the weekend, look at the niggle he has given the referee to the point where the referee actually told him off and told him to wrap it. And and whilst that would normally be a you know oh right come on Callum stop it, they they won the next three penalties and he got his way. He he he's a phenomenal leader for that side. And yeah, I I just think it's absolutely nuts to think that. Maybe maybe you could say the same. So you could maybe suggest it about Scotland and and Edinburgh, but. Leave Glasgow out of that. Is there not something to be said, though? I mean, in looking at the stats of that game, although Glasgow won it comfortably, that playing that brand of rug, that you know, a high octane brand of rugby, where just by sheer sort of uh, talent, you're able to score that many tries, but at the same time, shipping that many penalties. Is that? I wonder. Is that maybe what Arthur's getting at? That there's no one there, sort of saying we need to tighten things up. Or do you think that Glasgow are just, you know, if they if they know that they're that good, that they're okay just to sort of not worry about those things and just because they know they're going to win by scoring more tries than the other team? Well, Eaton. I think sort of, um, you had, there was a couple for not retreating 10 metres and the Swinson one, which led to the yellow card. I mean, that was, that's what you would call a team yellow. Um, so, you know, I think that sometimes you do just need to be do the sort of cynical thing. Um you know, it's sort of it's the sort of Alex Ferguson sort of ethos of we will still score more than you, and with Leon wanting to chuck the ball about, basically playing into our hands, we like that kind of style as well. Um, it just became a, a battle of who's better at doing this, and it turns out that we were um, considerably better. Um, is there still a question though, John? Before I mean, we move on, Edinburgh in a minute, I've got one more thing to talk about in the Glasgow game. But is is there still then a question about whether or not? Glasgow can cut it against a team like Saracens where they're not going to be able to play that that style of rugby? Yes, there is a question because we haven't beaten them. Um, but that, I, I don't think... 
So you think of the personnel, and again, it's, it's similar to what Scotland are doing. If you try to play, um, the, if we try to play the way Ireland play against Ireland, we would lose because we're not as good at them as good as, uh, as them at that type of game. Our strength lies in creating quick ball, and actually, I think a lot of the penalties that were given away were it's the classic risk and reward thing, and try to figure out that referee. Um, he was so unpredictable with the breakdown work. And if you think of the turnover ball is what Glasgow absolutely thrive on. And they try to generate as much of that as possible, particularly uh, Callum Gibbons. So uh, I, I understand people's frustration at giving away that many penalties, but I would be probably more frustrated if they weren't trying to get the ball, um, if you know what I mean. But yeah, against a team like Saracens, it's... You know, there's a reason they're one of the best club sides in the world. They they have an answer for that type of game. But on any day, you look at Exeter beat them playing a similar style of game in the Premiership final. We can play that way, and and, and win. Would you agree with that, Ian? Do you think are you more confident? Do you think after this weekend about going in? I mean, we've got Leon again at home, but the Saracens game is probably going to be the the one that sort of determines who tops the group. Um, yeah, well, I'd said when we were playing Saracens at Scotstown, I, I did, I was concerned we were going to get a bit of a tanking. Um, but the way that we fronted up to them, um, you know, it was a very, very physical match. Um, obviously, Mr. Reynal, um didn't get on our good side. Uh, he was letting them away with murder, and they seemed to get away with that quite a lot. They just fly over the top of rocks, taking people out, blocking, um, blocking defenders with dummy runners. Um, so um, there is a sort of theory that uh, they maybe get some uh, leeway from referees but this is the thing, I think if let's say if Saracen had an off day and we were having just one of those games where everything sticks you know, I think we could definitely beat them down there um, hopefully, I don't think it is actually going to rely on that too much because Leon are basically out of the competition so I don't think they're going to put up a huge fight on Saturday if the game goes ahead because the forecast isn't good, um, so you would hope that's five points and then Cardiff, uh, we've put them, well, we've played them twice in the last month, and both of them have been five point wins as well. So that would put us over. The, that puts us on the twenty point mark, is it? I think. Points, yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. think. There's, I think you're right. I don't think there's that much worry about Glasgow qualifying now. Um, it's more whether or not. I suppose the Saracens game. It depends who you play then, in the quarters. Yeah. So once you get into the, the last eight, you know, all the teams are extremely good. And if you have serious ambitions to win the tournament, you're going to have to beat the best at some stage. So, you know, as long as you're in, in the mix, you've got a chance. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, So we're both confident about Leon at the weekend. Yes, yeah, I think so. Um, as as Ian says, I don't think they're going to bring much of a side over. Uh, they've not got anything to play for. They're going well in the French league, so uh, definitely need to concentrate more on that. So I, I fully expect us uh, to to put put a few points past them. Yeah. One one talking point, and we might as well just address it while we're here because um, someone brought it up for hands in the rug, but I think it's probably more goes into um, talking about the game. The um, boxy jackal on Nick Grigg. Oh yeah, yeah. What I mean, it's it's lawful, and and the referee made the right decision. When I've looked into it, do you, are you yeah. we we both agreeing with the referee at the time or? <laughs> <laughs> I, absolutely, Cammy, because I'm well aware of that uh, that that part of the the book. The laws. You were nodding nodding your head, going, "Yes, of course, he's right." He's to- totally right. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. He's going for the ball cleanly there. Yes, absolutely. I hadn't realized. I mean, it's something I hadn't. I have to have to confess. It's something I hadn't realized when I first saw it. I and and all the commentators were calling for you know saying that's a penalty, but actually, by the letter of the law, it was completely right. He was you. You don't have. You're not allowed to lie on top of the player. So that's you have to let them up. But if you're competing for the ball, so as long as you're on your feet and you jackal, then you're perfectly entitled to do that. No, absolutely. It was, um, and it makes sense actually when you think about it, because um, I've never understood the whole like you can't, you know, pin the well, you, you need to let them up. It's kind of like that doesn't happen in any other part of the game. Why? Why would that happen there? But it turns out that's not really the rule. So yeah. <laughs> the only thing that I maybe thought was, did he actually get his hands on the ball before 
Greg got back up. Um, so you know he's went for the ball, but I'm not sure if he's, he's actually placed his hands on it. He's made an attempt to go for it, but did he actually get there? And then the supporting players uh, have got Greg back up, and it's almost like a mini ball that's formed. And that's because it's, it's, it's a bit of a delay on the whistle if he thinks that Boxies has got onto the ball. I, th- yeah. I thought. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's definitely sort of the, this idea that you have to let the man back up. It's just something I think everyone always took for granted, but apparently that's not a thing. Did you see that on the offside line by any chance? No. No, but uh, somebody had commented on the the match report on the offside line, and he said, oh, you need to check uh, Law 13. Um, yep. So, yeah. I've got Law 13 here. Players on the ground in open play. Um, the game is played only by players who are on their feet. On their feet. Players who go to ground to gather the ball or who go to ground with the ball must immediately get up with the ball or play the ball but not kick the ball or release the ball. So there you go. Perfect. Yep. Every day is a school day. That's it. We've and sorted that one out. Um, anything else on Glasgow from either of you before we move on to Edinburgh? George Horn is the best player in the world. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far, but I was going to say George Horn should really be considered... And, you know, all the Laidlaw lovers out there might give me pelters for this, but I think that George Horn really has to be starting for Scotland if we want to play the fastest game in the world. I... Because he is sensational. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I think he is sensational. I don't... I, I think international level, he probably still needs to learn how, how when to play like that. Because he do, he he does play. It's I don't think you can get away with playing that way for a whole eighty minutes. No, he played the full eighty against Munster in that agonising game, and I, I thought his game management and that was was exceptional. Um, but obviously, you know, like well, when me and Rory were on a few weeks ago, one of our sort of main negatives from the autumn was the lack of game time for Horn at international standard. But you know, he's producing it at the the top level here of club, club rugby so um, well Italy are first up so I think if there is going to be a game to uh, sort of bleed them in then I think that would be the ideal starting point yeah I think that on, on, on in other news um, just a Pete Horn number one inside centre in the world update he is still <laughs> the number one inside centre in the world according to Rugby Pass um, excellent news so that's still going um, he had seven seven tackles one missed um, Nick Grigg as well. I mean, I, I think Rory's got a, a, a sort of um, a bit of uh, thrown forward here, but Rory's working on something for the um, blog about player, you know, looking ahead to sort of the, the squad that you might put together for Scotland at the World Cup. And I mean, Nick Gregg is is putting in some solid work and, and really going to push some of the guys all the way, I would think. Just those lines off of Hastings that he's playing just now are unbelievably good. He's he's got a real real knack for that. They've got a great relationship, those two. Yeah, um, we we will move on to Edinburgh because otherwise I'll get accused of um, favouritism of Glasgow. Bias, bias, bias. bias. Um, Sandy, uh, who was on last week, um, sent me a wee uh, message. Um, just so he's his it was his hands in the ruck, but it fits in nicely to this. Was just the fact that um, a lot of the. Um, coverage, particularly in the Scottish press, has been more around how lucky Ember were about the 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 fact that Falcons were a weakened side. But as he points out, Ember were missing Barkley, Bennett, Bradbury, Crosby, Scott, McKenzie, um, and um, Newcastle didn't play Gonover or or Sinotti, and neither of those are injured. So it's uh, I think Sandy's got a fair point there. It's not that. As much as you know, people would argue that was a weakened Falcon side. It was hardly a full strength Edinburgh side either. Yeah, I thought that. Well, Newcastle, even before we found out that uh, was it another two of their tight heads got injured, sort of twenty four hours before the start. Allegedly. Um, yeah, I mean, I've even written here in my, my scribbled notes that I did while watching the game that they hadn't, like you said, they hadn't picked Geneva or Sonotti, Sonotti. So I thought they'd already come up to Murrayfield, thinking, you know what, we've got an amazing win against Toulon. Uh, we've got the win against Montpellier. Murrayfield's going to be a really hard place to go to. Let's hold some guys back so we've got a, a stronger team for when they, they come down to uh, Kingston. Um, so I, you know, I, I do. Th- I think the Scotsman um, Stuart Bathgate maybe. But then the primary thing off that was, oh, you know, 
Falcons didn't have any tight heads. But they they hadn't picked a particularly strong team in the first instance. And I think there was a wee bit of um, squad rotation going on there. Um, so I don't think it should be... It shouldn't have been the major talking point of the match. Are we allowed to say rotated? Is that is that yes? Is that, that is okay. Yeah. Yeah, nobody is nobody was dropped. It was uh, it was squad rotation. Yeah. In this instance, certainly. <laughs> You're not going to drop Geneva, are you? No. <laughs> you didn't. might might rotate him though. Um. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to know what. To, I mean, it's uh, Ember. Again, it's that thing. It's just a different style of play. Ember, Ember made ninety-three percent of their tackles. If you don't know where Ember went right, and only conceded six penalties, um, <laughs> not not that anyone's keeping score. Um, but yeah, again, the the you know it's the comment that um, it was again uh, and Arthur had made. Sorry about the lack of leadership. And I'm not I'm not necessarily sure that if you look at that Ember team that there's you could say there's a lack of leadership there either. You've got McAnally. Um, Nell, even Watson, you know, and then Pergos, maybe in the backs. I mean, I don't know. Perhaps maybe in the backs, they may be lacking a little bit um, of leadership. But it's quite a young backline, I guess, um, compared to sort of maybe the more experienced heads of Glasgow. Not even sure it's leadership they're lacking. It's more like uh, more guidance than anything else, um, and that generally would come. I think I think Pergos got absolutely slated for his performance, and he still got he got man of the match um, from the TV uh, guys. Um, and I, I mean, I thought I thought he was he was controlled. I wouldn't necessarily want him at Glasgow playing like that, but in the conditions that Edinburgh are playing in and the type of game they do play, he was exactly what they needed in that that point that probably extends itself out to past nine and, you know, moving into 10 and beyond, there probably looks like there's not much going on because they're not necessarily getting much ball. Um, and when they are, it's kind of, it's, it's a secondary thought that, well, okay, well, we better lob the ball out wide now. Ah, quick, throw it out. Oh, panic, 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 throw the ball out. Ah, let's go back to our, our processes. Let's get the forwards back involved. Um, so th- there's, there's work to be done there, but I agree. There's there's leaders throughout that team. Yeah, I think the other thing people forget, and is, and again, we were touching on this last week. If you if you think about where Glasgow is in their development, it's unfair to compare Ember to them because I remember a very young side, and when I say young, I don't mean in age. I just mean in terms of the the time that group of players have been together compared to the time that some of the players have been at Glasgow. I mean, even the younger. I mean, even you think of Ash, who's been around for years, and he's only twenty-five, but has been around that team for for years. I mean, at the at Embry, you've got Gilchrist, Tulis, possibly Watson, um, but then everybody else outside of that, McAnally, I guess, and Nell. But everybody else, most of the other team, they're not. They, they haven't got the heads. They haven't got the Fizzaros. They haven't got the Harleys in there. But you suspect that give it a few years and they will do. All of a sudden, you know, people like Fraser McKenzie will become a bit like a, you know, a, a Rob Harley, a sort of, you know, a very steady player that you can rely on when the Six Nations come along. So for a for a, a young team or a team at the early stages of its development, that they, they they are still punching above their weight a little bit, Ian. Do you not think? Um, yes, yeah, certainly in, the, in this European campaign, um, their performance against Toulon was was excellent. Um, and guys like, uh, for example, Jamie Ritchie, you know, he's he's still a very young man, um, and he's he's only going to learn from the likes. Well, Barkley has been injured for for this entire duration so far at Edinburgh, so he's going to come back in and add a whole load of leadership, whole lot of tacticalness, um, and obviously, you know, like you're saying, the, the back line is maybe a wee bit uh, inexperienced. Guys like uh, Van der Vault don't play the music. Um, <laughs> do have Van der Merva. Uh, Johnson Dean, you know, I, I'm quite a big fan of uh, Chris Dean. Um, obviously, Scotland are have a plethora of good centres, um, but uh, you know, if say Matt Scott gets called up for the Scotland squad, Chris Dean or uh, James Johnson, they seem to do a decent job. Um, just some of the the league form has been a bit disappointing so far this year, but it must be said they they overachieved last year. Um, so it's maybe a bit of that difficult second season syndrome. 
I guess as well. I mean, but they've had. I think again, we were talking last week that it's the run of fixtures they've had and some of the injuries they've had have maybe just um, not helped them particularly with that. I mean, they had quite a run of away games, and and even those away games, the, yeah. the results have been fairly close. Yeah, it's... that Ulster game, they were extremely unlucky with that one. Um, that last your last kick of the game, they won it, which wasn't a penalty for me. Um, Stuart Berry has been getting a lot of lot of stick from uh, fans and uh, managers all over the Pro 14. So it's not just uh, it wasn't just Edinburgh that felt a bit aggrieved by that one. Yeah, any, were there any comments in the blog either of you picked out or any elsewhere about the Edinburgh game? I picked out actually the one, uh, so it was FF, he said, I think Cockrell knew what he was getting into here and is here for the duration of his project. He revived his reputation at Toulon before joining Edinburgh. Having one half-decent season with a Pro 14 club that's won nothing isn't a golden ticket to a bigger post. Frankly, navigating second second season syndrome is where he's going to earn his wage and I really doubt he's off anywhere in the near future. Uh, I thought that was really interesting because obviously Cockrell's been... Um, bandied about in some of the the, the lesser reputable uh, press areas um, as being a potential um, option for England. Um, and, yeah, I think he... A lot of people still are quite shocked that he's at Edinburgh and that he's a coach of his reputation decided to come up here. Um but I, I agree with the comment. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon because he, for all that he overachieved last season, he still achieved very little. So um, there, there's more to be done. Yeah, and I think we've said before, there's not there's not many clubs in Europe that you, or any even elsewhere, that, that you get given carte blanche to mould it in the way that you want and start, you know, start everything from scratch, from club culture upwards. It's very rare that you get that opportunity. And I think it was interesting. Ben Ryan was interviewed, I think, about be when he was touted for uh, approached about the Ember job. And I think the SRU had said, "Look, we we you can do whatever you want, but it has to be within what Gregor Townsend's trying to build with Scotland." So I think that there are still those limits on, you know, Cockrell can't go completely just into a forwards game. He has to try and play expand. He he has to play some form of expansive rugby, but he still has that ability to say, "Look, here is a club that's got no culture whatsoever, where players are you know were reportedly driving from one side of Murrayfield Stadium to the other just to go on the training pitches. You can shape this however you want. This is now effectively your club to do it with, with as you wish." And I guess that's why he was so successful at Leicester. Is he was part, already part of that club, so he it was already very much his club and and he had some success with that so it's yeah i don't think it, it's not an opportunity that you would that many coaches would pass up to to see that through to some form of completion yeah i would agree with that i think um you, again you just look at obviously townsend was slightly different and that he came in from the scottish setup but there was still a lot of resistance actually to his appointment and what he did was, yeah, there was a continuation of the journey, but there was definitely his mould put onto that team. And because of that, they went on, they were successful. And then, you know, it was it was a case of take the Scotland job now or take a very, very, very healthy paycheck in France. Uh, and that's not a bad position to be in as a coach. So, you know, uh, Cockrell would do well to hang around a wee bit longer. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking. It's interesting because I was looking at that. Um, just for comparison, I was looking at the Ember backline, and and what they it, it is a thing of they, they they do just lack experience outside of Henry Pergos, and you look at the backline that Glasgow had when they won the Pro 14, and you had Stuart Hot. I mean, it, it's I'm just thinking of Blair Kinghorn coming through, and he's not really got anybody outside of him, sort of giving him that guidance on the pitch yep. whereas you, when Hogg came through you had Tommy Seymour who was you know mid to late 20s when Glasgow won the Pro 14, I think it's 27 um, on one wing, uh, DTH van der Merwe again on the other wing outside of him, then you've got Sean Lamont who you know hanging around the club who's got a wealth of experience you know at national level and others well you know who's Blair Kinghorn got he's got um, Duhan van der Merwe who's I think fairly young and South Africa new, new to the uh, Scottish rugby, Darcy Graham, who you know is even younger, and Blair Kinghorn as the back three. There's not anybody there 
apart from Dougie Fife occasionally, who's you know on able to give them that sort of on the pitch, sort of arm around the shoulder, look, you know either dial it back or here's where the chances are going to come. And that's maybe what that's maybe something they need, but I don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah, well, I mean, on you go, Ian. Uh, well, you know, when we discussed the recruitment in the summer um, and the, the sort of plethora of good back row options they they now have, um, the likes of Barkley, Hamilton, Mata, they also signed, uh, I always forget his name, uh, is it Naisi? Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. 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 Um, maybe they should have, should have looked at that, but obviously, you know, guys like Doohan, um, who is on his game he's absolutely destructive um you know so they need the game time they need to get the experience somewhere um but like you say you know maybe they do need somebody with a bit more bit more experience even if it's somebody who's just going to be a, a rotation player and uh, not necessarily a first choice starter but someone who can say no you need to like for example um newcastle's uh first try uh kinghorn's got himself caught in no man's land so maybe if he had somebody to guide them along look if you are in this position this is what you need to be doing yeah because i mean it was the, you watched the scar again we were talking about this last week but you watched the scarlet's game and niku matawala was literally in george horn's ear the entire game yeah coaching him and that's that's what young players need is that on the pitch sort of guidance to get them through those games because then when they're on their own it 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 benefits them massively I'm not sure anybody needs Nico coaching you through a game, <laughs> especially not George Horn. He's already too. I mean, I've, I've decided that George Horn uh, in uh, the Dark Knight Rises. You know, Batman obviously talks about this renewable energy source. I think I've decided that George Horn is actually the world energy crisis um, solution, and that we just need to put him in a put him in a tank and just let him run, and he'll, he'll generate all the energy we need. Yeah. Um, the Newcastle's game against, uh, well, sorry, Edinburgh's game against Newcastle, rather, um, down in Newcastle this weekend. Um, John Hardy has been added to Newcastle's European squad. Um, so it's going to be full on, uh, the Mish versus John Hardy, like the end of Rocky Three, them both punching <laughs> each other out in the rook. Ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I mean, again, it's the the maths escapes me slightly, but I think um, it's slightly closer in Edinburgh's group because um, I th- let's have a look. Where are we? Where's that group? Um, yeah, Edinburgh are on eleven points, Newcastle eight, but then Toulon and Montpellier are both on six. So Edinburgh really need to win the game against Falcons, I think, if they're gonna. I think that cement that would cement their place, but I think Toulon and Montpellier both sort of gave each other bonus points somehow. No, no, not saying anything. Somehow, though. <laughs> yes. Um, well, actually, I saw the highlights of that in the last couple of tries. It just looks like the players are absolutely knackered, so it's just sort of easy run-throughs. Probably. Francois Stain's try. There's a he does a step, but it's at like two miles an hour. So the fullback's just like, oh, oh I've missed a tackle. Oh, you've got to try. Oh, well. He's clearly been watching uh, the Jack Cuthbert supercut on YouTube. <laughs> I think it's probably just it's probably just classic France. It's just like lads, we've played sixty minutes. Can we not just go off and have a glass of wine and a bit of a get? Get and cheese. Yeah, how well, lads? There's cheese to be had. Let's just let's just finish this here. Um, on uh, in other news, um, Finn Russell did Finn Russell at the weekend. It's a ridiculous <laughs> offload out the back. <laughs> did oh. he not though? <laughs> I, I preferred the one-handed sort of. Uh, it wasn't even an offload. It was, it was a one-handed pass. Yeah. Just a sort of spinning pass. It was just like, ah, there you go, mate. Oof. There was, he was. Still he put the burners on for, for the, the last try as well, didn't he? he a, bit, a bit of juice about him. He actually looked quite for quick. The, um, it's actually for the, the Leicester try when they looked like he'd... he'd oh, so it was. A great break, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, intercept. But that wasn't but his fault. It wasn't him that threw the intercept, yeah. No, just, it was not. Clear, it wasn't wasn't true for insanity. No, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, it looks like he's been hanging around with, uh, you know, hanging around with um, big old Uncle Big Knacks, and that's natural enough. Maybe some after after training. Go on, show me how you do that thing. <laughs> He'll show you how to do the, the shuffle. Can you imagine Big Knacker doing the doing the Finn shuffle? Um, did you see the the Glasgow? I mean, the Glasgow thing after the Glasgow game, baby, all doing Baby Shark. 
<laughs> I've refused to watch that because I hate that baby shark thing. It's, it's very I, I know I should. I know I should really. There's a um, there's a bit. It's, I'm not a big fan of the of How I Met Your Mother, the sitcom. But there was a there was a thing in that where they reckoned that if if you listen to the Proclaimers 500 miles at various points, it it's really draining, and you think, oh, not this again. And then at various points, you're like, yes, it's 500 miles. <laughs> And it's the same with Baby yeah. Shark. Honestly, That's you go to after about six pints. Yeah, having two having having two toddlers now, it's like I, at some points I'm just like I'm not watching this again. Um, and then I'm like, yes, it's Baby Shark. So I think oh, let's That's... go, Sharky! Yay! Um, so yeah, I think uh, yeah. I, I, who had the shark's head on, John? I couldn't work it out. I, there was rumours. I, I I don't know who it was. To be honest, uh, um, I was listening to the Warriors Weekly podcast, and they've said it was Nick Frisby. Right. Yeah, that's been suggested. I'm surprised he didn't kneel down for it. I love but, the yeah. uh, I love the fact that somebody somebody pointed out to me on Twitter that Johnny Gray is just the only player not into it at all. <laughs> just somebody, <laughs> it must half, be a canvas lang thing. Ah, uh, he's half-heartedly clapping in the background, just like, oh, what's this again? He's, uh, he's piping slippers and he's uh, he's bonnet cap on. Yeah. Just go, I am not partaking in this nonsense. You, you children will go and be you'll be seen and not heard. This is my theory that that Johnny Gray models himself on Alan Wynne Jones, and he's get so he's getting the same hair. The hair's going the same way. They watch the hairline; it's going the same way. And now it's also just the, the attitude to any sort of frivolity, <laughs> just hard stare all the way. Um, Dermot Gormley did get in touch. I think he'd been on the Leon plane. He said all the players thanked us for coming, and Nick Frisby gave us pints. Said his service Woo! was fast. Was fast. His service was fast and accurate. I don't know if he served on his knees. Uh, if Dermot <laughs> wants to give us an update, that'd be great. Um, although, as I, he's technically, I suppose Nick Frisby's knees would fall foul of R- R- Law Thirteen, would it not? Would yeah, he would be out of the game. The so... game is to be played only by players who are on their feet. Nick Frisby. That's a that's a no, Nick. If you can if you can confirm. Uh, through the various channels that you've heard and understood this, uh, as fans would be very grateful. The two knee pass is not not two knee, not the two knee pass. The two knee pass is uh, <laughs> not allowed under the. Uh, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Um, in other news, uh, Tommy Seymour has signed a one-year contract extension. He's over thirty, isn't he? It's, yeah. Uh, it's a- yeah, they must have. I mean, someone. I mean, I can see why. Why the, the attraction is staying in Scotland? It's a you know the run up to the World Cup. So you, one, you get rested. You're over thirty, so you're not going to play as much rugby. So you're going to get rested. I think he said his family are fairly settled in Glasgow. But I mean, you would. I'd be very surprised if he didn't take some big dollar after the World Cup to go and play at least a couple of years somewhere else. Especially now he's back on form. Uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he said last well, last time he signed his contract extension a couple of years ago, he said that being looked after um, was very important to him, and that mm. idea that you know he could go to France this no next year, um, play play a couple of years. Although there was some stuff coming out about French French players and how you know you'll not see a player under thirty playing in France just now, um, or hardly. It's uh, you know for all the reputation of burning their players out, but um, you know he could he could go and do that, or he could play on, be a bit of a you know a Sean Lamont style club servant, um, possibly play out his days at Glasgow. And let's be honest, he's he's not going to be um, he's not going to be destitute on his next on his latest contract. He'll, no. he'll, he'll do okay. No, I would imagine so. But you, I mean, both both happy with that. I would imagine. Yes, very much so. Yeah, back, yeah. back, back. Good to see him back in form as well. Um, we've got a quick. Where's Dougie Donnelly? Ian on the Scottish Rugby Forum got in touch to say that he saw John Inverdale buying a cheeseburger from one of the vans on Roseburn before Roseburn Street before the South Africa game. Um, he wonders if he if he doesn't trust the Murrayfield hospitality. Um, I would think it's more that John Inverdale wouldn't, because uh, I think he has to dine with the rest of the press. I think it's more just that he uh, would rather eat a burger from the street than dine with uh, the hoi polloi. <laughs> the gutter must, press. Must have, must have heard we were coming. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Rory was at, I think it was, Rory was at the South Africa, and that'd be it. It's like, oh, I'm not going with them. They slagged me off. Um 
let's have a look. We'll, go, we'll do hands in the rucks. We're getting on for time again. Um, John, have you got any? Ha- we haven't had any hands in the rucks submitted as such. I think we've had, had Sandy's, but we've already dealt with that. Um, you got any hands in the ruck this week? Uh, I kind of, I kind of touched on it earlier on. Um, the the controlling the game um, during the obvious weather conditions that we face quite often in Scotland. I don't um, know what you're talking about. I know it's a paradise up here. I mean, I'm looking out my window just now. It is calm. There's a beautiful, beautiful sort of autumnal winter sky. It's it's gorgeous. No, the weather's rubbish up here, and we we need to be a bit more realistic. Has so I put it to the people that were were um, giving Henry Pergos a bit of grief, and also Greg Laidlaw uh, against Argentina um, for being that bit slower. Has anyone recently tried rubbing a, a rugby ball uh, in a puddle, um, making it really, really wet and mucky, and then taking your hands and rubbing it in the mud as well, and getting you all nice and nice and dirty, and then trying to catch a ball, getting fired at you know quite some pace at you? Because I can, I can point out that it's not easy um, to do that consistently. Um, so I'm I'm glad that we have a couple of players who are switching on and controlling the game. Everybody wants to see guys like George Horn running riot, but sometimes it's not possible. Yep, I think that's a fair call. I mean, there is the I mean the the flip side of that is, I suppose, from the point of view of club rugby, is do you play in the summer? From the point of view, but but I I think you're right in terms of the response to seeing. Players, the criticism of Pergos and, and and Laidlaw is isn't justified when you know they're pretty much playing with a ball that's been lathered in, you know, yes, goose fat, and <laughs> launched launched at them at like five hundred miles an hour whilst they've just had their hands in an ice box. It's not having had their hands stood on by our Argentinian back rows and all that nonsense. Yeah, it's just we just need to again. I keep going back to this a wee bit of. We have empathy for our players at times. Wouldn't go amiss. I think. I think it's. I think we've said before, and I think it's something that every. I, I would encourage everyone to do, and it's. And I don't think enough people do this. Is uh, take a step back and try before criticizing. Try and work out what it is they're trying to do. And when we spoke to Damien um, Hughes about this, and he was saying that's what that's what most players and most coaches would 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 ask of their fans is. Just take a minute and think. What what was it that he saw that was on? Maybe if someone kicks a loose kick or if someone's playing the game tighter, what is it that they're trying to do? Because they're professional athletes and they're not daft, and they're not deliberately. Well, they are deliberately playing it tight, but there, there is a reason for it. They're not just doing it because that's the way they would like to play. Because I'm sure most, if you ask most rugby players, what they want to do is score tries and play for teams that score tries. But they also want to win matches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ian, your hands in the ruck. Uh, well, short of moaning about the same old stuff like refereeing inconsistencies and uh, the Guardian, um, <laughs> I'm actually going for something that's been bugging me for a while, and it's a very personal thing. So you know, not some people may not agree with me on this, um, but now, I, I'm an ex-smoker. Right, I, I quit smoking about two and a half years ago, um, and I switched to vaping. Um, because I remember when I first started going to Scotland, you could smoke outside the clubhouse and stuff, but then it says no smoking, you know, and you go, all right, fair enough, it's Glasgow life, they're all about being healthy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then I was going to, uh, I was waiting outside the ticket gate to go, and I've also been told I can't vape in the ground. So I was like, all right, cool. I was sitting in the car park, having a couple of puffs before I go in, and then I get told I'm not even allowed to vape in the uh, in the car park area. Now, I happen to work for the NHS, and the NHS, um, they allow you to vape in the car park. Uh, <laughs> I've actually pulled up, I've pulled up some stats here, right? So far, <laughs> they've figured out that vaping is um, 90, at least 95% safer than smoking cigarettes. There is no evidence that uh, secondhand vape uh, is harmful to anyone else's health. Um, so, I mean... But this thing, it's uh, it's got some, like Glasgow Life saying, oh, you can't smoke or vape in here, but they will uh, allow you to drink copiously, um, eat, eat red meat, and other things which are known to be carcinogens. So, you know, I think they should allow vaping, um, because just think, right, if they allow people to vape, then some people who are smokers who might be thinking, you know what, I'm just going to bolt straight after the game so I can get a smoke. 
they might turn to vaping and then you're saving their lives. So Glasgow Life should reconsider their vaping policy in the Scotsman Stadium. That's what I'm getting at. That's, that's got my hands in the rock, is that they will let me vape in there. <laughs> I've, I found one article um, that says that a man died when his vape exploded. So maybe that's it. I uh, see. Yeah. That's, he must have bought a cheap, dodgy one. You know, as long as you buy it from a reputable source, it should be fine. Has anyone tweeted Brian Alunisi to ask him if it's allowed? He doesn't care anymore. He's taking his high vis vest off to you, Toulon. Are you are you kidding? He took that so seriously. I would not be surprised if he's on weekends off from Toulon. He's back doing the stewarding. I, I heard it from a, a source of mine, uh, a, a mutual source, Phil Spears. In fact, uh, John, he said he saw Brian Aloisi smoking one time in a pub. Ooh. Well, not in the pub, in the in the uh, outside area of the pub. That, that would sad, that sad. would ex- that would explain a lot. <laughs> Oh, I got accused of being racist for saying he looked old once. I was like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> it's just island- Pacific-, Pacific Islanders age differently. That doesn't explain Nick Grigg. <laughs> 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 yeah, Greg- Griggy's hairdo. Do you think Greg's upturning form is related to how good Hoggy's plugs are? Possibly, that could be it. He's, I mean, he's just thinking, let's get a new contract on the table, let's get some plugs, this is going to be good. Yeah, I think the thing with Nick Grigg is he's got, he needs to do something to remind people that he's only 26 or he's only get, going to get one year contract extensions. Yeah. <laughs> we don't believe your birth certificate, Nick. Come on, mate. Come on, Nick. You're clearly, you're clearly mid, mid to late 30s. Come on. Well, obviously, with it being my birthday recently, I uh, I, I took some abuse from uh, my, my fellow Scottish rugby fans regarding my age. Um, someone suggesting that um, I had uh, clearly had... A, what, what was the phrase? I'd had a paper, paper round... round in Sarajevo. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Was slightly harsh. <laughs> so yeah. I have sympathy. I have sympathy with Nick Greg. I've got great. I, I was I, one of my old jobs. Um, I told them uh, this years ago because I'm thirty. I'm thirty-seven. I don't know how old I'm. Thirty-six, thirty-seven now. Um, and the uh, he stopped counting after thirty-five. He stopped counting after thirty-five. Um, <laughs> I was I was going. It's my twenty-eighth birthday, and I said, "Oh, that's me away for my birthday this weekend." And they said, "Oh, how old are you?" And I said, oh, "I'm twenty-eight." And they said, "Oh, I thought you were 40. So, a huge compliment that was. Um, my hands in the ruck um, is refereeing. Um, a few we said a few weeks ago that the Borders Referee Association had written to all clubs saying there'd been an increase in um, abuse, um, and now the head of Northeast Rugby's had to write a letter as well. Um, so, um, yeah, that's not good. Um, it's quite interesting the reaction to this. Most people were fairly, you know, horrified. I think. About it, um, there was I'll, I'll read. I say Berwick Rugby Club tweeted, but that's you know because it's Berwick, and you know I'm just going to read out their tweet because it's Berwick. Um, very sad news that our refs feel the need to do this. It's up to us clubs to do more to stamp this out. Without them, we wouldn't have a game. Equally likely that the same people abuse the players too. Um, what was interesting is there was one um response I had. I'm not going to read his name because I don't want everyone to go and um pile on. And he doesn't follow me anyway. I don't think, but um. He said, after seeing a good few games this season uh, and last season, I can see why, especially from the away team supporters, their blatant at times favouritism shown to the home team is embarrassing. Maybe it's time the SRU look at getting independent people to go to games and assess the refs. I mean, firstly, who's paying for that to get? (laughs) Secondly, who's volunteering to go and spend the weekends assessing referees? Because they're volunteers. You know, I think... um, you know, up, even in at Prem level, they're getting their expense. These guys are getting their expenses. Maybe we've got younger guys like Ruri who are doing it for the experience and are getting opportunities to go and referee. Like, I think Ruri was on the line at the the Scotland uh, Canada game and has done yep. some sevens as well. But uh, apart from that, these guys are giving up their time. And even in the European games, I mean, look at the um, you know some of the Krasny Yar games and stuff. You see Scottish guys going out there and refereeing and running touch or. Um, being there as the um, fourth official, and they're doing it on their own time. It's only it's a very small group of referees who get paid to do it, and if you don't have referees, regardless of the quality, and I think you know clubs are entitled to write a letter to the head of the referee of the region and say we weren't very happy with the performance, and that can be reviewed and people can learn. That's absolutely fine, but I don't think you can say 
the refereeing's crap, so people are entitled to have a go at them. And the S- if the SIU only did more to improve the rate of referees, then people they wouldn't get abused. I think that's completely the wrong way to go about looking at it. And they do have an assessor. The SRU do have an assessor who goes round and does take in some of the some of the higher profile games, um, including the professional game. But the, but as you say, the resource is very finite. Um, and you know, again, what 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 difference does that necessarily make? Oh yeah, we saw him being rubbish. Well, right. Well, that's that's subjective as well. So I think the the official channels are there. Write a letter right to the head of referees, right to whoever, and start start to put pressure on that way. And I think that links back again to some of the uh, some of the stuff that's coming out from one of the pro team coaches on a consistent basis. Yes, the refereeing hasn't been good, but there's ways and means of going about that. And I think he needs to set a better example as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair enough. I think it's something that I, I can understand the concern and it's almost a running joke the standard of refereeing in the pro 14 but it gets to the point where that starts to see like you said it starts to seep into the amateur game and all of a sudden absolutely does like we said you know you go you see players on the pitch um you know in the referee's ear all the time who aren't the captain and people watch that and think well i'll do that at the weekend (laughs) and then you get caught you know you see a coach doing it and then all of you know a high profile coach doing it and then all of a sudden coaches feel emboldened to do that to the referee that's visiting their club who's probably driven there himself you know in his own car and then has to sit with everybody afterwards and have a meal um do you know it's not i I think yeah without the referee there's no game at the lower levels so you know think on because if there if if you think you the standard referee is poor then the answer is go and be a referee Absolutely. Yeah. And you'll be pleased to hear that we've got two more seasons of uh, Sexton playing for Ireland and uh, and Leinster to um, to to obviously showcase um, that that um, that quality uh, of of working respect with referees. Referee, that respect. Yeah. That's the word. But the answer the answer is just for Leinster and Ireland to make Johnny Sexton captain just to get round it. Yeah, I mean, it's Rory Best's are captain usually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so is Sexton vice captain, or I, I I assume he's one of the leadership group because obviously he's so experienced. But eh, yeah, or wouldn't, or wouldn't be, or wouldn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, any more for any more? Because I think that's us done for this week. Yeah, I think I'm good to hear. You no, all I'm done, John? Good. You're pretty I am good. all done. Thanks. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Well, um, that is it from us this week next week we are back with our christmas special and a very 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 special guest um that is not doogie donnelly as someone suggested um i (laughs) wish i wish um uh, who knows i might maybe 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 we'll see maybe he might the the person who is coming on um may may even be better than doogie donnelly we shall see but yeah um i thought cammy can you do a sort of pro team style reveal and sort of start to give clues on Twitter, like make a video. <laughs> um, make something like kind of question of sport. I can't decide what I yeah, want to do. Oh, that'd be amazing. I can't decide what I want to do with it because 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 one 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 side of me thinks, and this is just my, my general pessimism about the way this works as well. I always I never trail people that we have on when we occasionally have guests. I try not to trail them because I think well if the internet connection doesn't work. Then we're gonna look like a right <laughs> idiot if, the, if that doesn't come off. Um, so I might I, yeah I'm tempted to trail it. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll decide what to do in the week. I'm also. I'm in the middle of also. I've also got to write a Home Alone Scotland parody as well, guys. I'm. You know, I'm busy. <laughs> and deal with Christmas. This is a busy You're time for me. Yeah. Uh, part four is coming up later this week. Yes. Um, at the moment, for those not following, um, uh, the uh, Adam Hastings and Finn Russell are home alone in Murrayfield um, because they've been left behind by the rest of the squad. Uh, Greg Laidlaw is making his way back to them. He's managed to get a flight to Gloucester. Um, and he will be making his way back. Um, just so you, um, as a wee preview, actually, for people that listen to the podcast, because this will be in part four, is um, Grieg is about to run into Gus Pichot's poker band. 
Gus Pichot's sexist, racist polka, polka band. band. He, was, he, only, he only employs musicians from the area of Chicago, who were born in the area of Chicago where polka was invented. <laughs> yeah, which is a very, I was quite, quite pleased with it because, uh, of course, it was Gus Polinski's uh, polka band uh, in the original Home Alone, so that was quite a, a neat way of doing it. But yeah, so there's a little, little uh, sneak peek to part four. Um, yes, Eddie Jones and Faz instead of Marv, um, are trying to break it into the SRU to uh, steal the fact that they're solvent and have the Calcutta Cup. Um, <laughs> so you'll have to keep watching to find out whether Finn, Finn and Adam can can repel them and whether Grieg will make it back in time for Christmas. So yeah, keep an eye out for my Twitter feed for that. Um, so yes, we'll be back next Tuesday uh, evening with our Christmas special. Um, if you have any festive-themed uh, crap call-offs, festive-themed Dougie Donnellys, have you seen Dougie Vipond at the BBC Christmas Do? Uh, have you seen uh, the Glasgow and Edinburgh lads at their Christmas Do's? We'd be interested to know. Um, and uh, any festive hands in the ruck, so any hands in the ruck for the whole year, let us know in the comments section of the blog. Um, it's a bit of a year in review we're going to do. Uh, we're also going to make up some rewards, uh, some rewards, some awards as well. Uh, John, I saw you doing that in the Scottish Rugby Forum. I, I had that idea before you posted that. Um, <laughs> uh, that's all right. You, you, can, you can steal them as well. That's I not might, a problem. I, I might nick them. I. Um, so, yeah, so any any awards, one-off awards you want to give to people, uh, clearly uh, don't send any Vidal Sassoon awards for hairstyles for Adam Hastings because that's just a given. Um <laughs> But yeah, we'll be back next week, so do leave your comments on the blog and get in touch. But for now, um, it's goodbye from me and a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to John and Ian. Thank you and goodbye. Bye-bye.